0: Good morning. Please pray with me. Father God, may you be the one who speaks. May you be the one who has spoken. May you be the one who continuously speaks into our hearts. Your word, your power, your grace, your forgiveness, your strength. So that even if I am silent, we hear from you today. In Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. There were some technical difficulties when I tried to listen to what Brooke shared last week when I was away. But I think I got at least a tiny bit of it in that he talked a bit about the narrow door and how important it was for us to strive to go through that narrow door that leads to eternal life. Today I want to look at a door, but a different door in Scripture. It's the door that Scripture tells us at which Jesus is always knocking. Looking for it to be opened for Him, for Him to enter through. Now, I imagine some of you are already heading there in your mind. You know where that one is. Third chapter of Revelation, right? Last book of the Bible. Revelation chapter 3, verse 20. Look. I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in, and we will share a meal together as friends. Now, most of us have been trained to think of this Scripture as a salvation Scripture, a Scripture that we use when we're witnessing to people, sharing the Gospel with them, asking them to come to know Christ. In a moment, we'll look at that in that context, because that's not really how it's used in Scripture. But this scripture does hold out the promise of a time of intimate fellowship with Christ. And our culture does not really understand that meaning of share a meal together the way they used to in the the Near East. And it's entirely possible that I don't even begin to grasp that. I don't know. I just had a little training on it. But it was a big deal. You didn't eat with just anybody. It was a major thing. It was special. It was intimate. It was sharing. It was sharing on a deeper level than we think of when we just think about sharing a meal. Now, when we look at this Scripture in its context, I think we'll notice that it's not quite the way we've been taught to use it. Take a look at it with me. Let's back up to the 14th chapter of the third verse. If you've got your Bibles, take a look there. Revelation chapter 3, verse 14. And I'll be reading from the New Living. Write this letter to the angel of the church in Laodicea. This is the message from the one who is the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's new creation. I know all the things you do, that you're neither hot nor cold. I wish you were one or the other. But since you are like lukewarm water, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich. I have everything I want. I don't need a thing. And you don't realize that you're wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. So I advise you to buy gold from me, gold that has been purified by fire. Then you will be rich. And buy white garments from me, so that you will not be shamed by your nakedness. Anointment for your eyes, so that you'll be able to see. I correct and discipline everyone I love. So be diligent and turn from your indifference. Look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. Those who are victorious will sit with me in my throne just as I was victorious and sat with my father on his throne. Anyone who has ears must listen to the Spirit and understand what he's saying to the churches. So when we read it in context, what do you notice? What do you see there? The first thing is, it's not addressed to unbelievers at all. It's addressed to a church. They should know. And they thought they knew. But they didn't. It's not primarily an evangelistic scripture. Yeah, you can use it for that. I'm not trying to say don't ever use that. But that's not why. It's where it is in the book of Revelation. It's a scripture that was written to a church, the church in the city of Laodicea. It was written to a church that thought so well of itself that it doesn't, didn't realize that they were poor and needy and broken. And in desperate need of a touch from God that they thought they already had. The main point is not so much that Jesus wanted into someone's heart as much as he wanted to be into their church. The collective heart as God's people. Scary thought, isn't it? That a church could exclude the presence of the living Christ and yet they did. They did exclude him. The reality was that while they thought themselves as having it all together. As well, they thought they were the example. They thought very well of themselves. The ministries were happening. The liturgy was working. Things were getting along just fine. But they didn't see. And the reality was that God God found them wanting and lacking. Their love for Him was tepid. At best. Their works were routine. They were empty of passion and faith. And rather than seeing, they were blind. Rather than being beautifully clothed, they were naked. Rather than being rich, they were poor. So then, what was the core of their problem? What was going on that they thought one thing, and the reality was totally different? It's this. They had no intimacy with the risen Christ. They had no intimacy with the risen Christ. He was standing there and knocking and knocking, but they wouldn't see it. They wouldn't hear it, or they couldn't hear it. He wanted in, but they weren't willing to let him come in. So he encourages them to hear and see that he's not far away from them. He's right at the very door, waiting. But they've kept him on the outside. They hadn't let him in. So he's looking. He's knocking. He's asking if they will just open the door and let him in. Then they can have real fellowship, real spiritual intimacy, real relationship. Everything that they were lacking would suddenly be theirs. If they would open the door. And you know what? It was something that God was asking them to do as a church. As a church, they needed to open the door and let them in. I suspect it's something that many churches still need to do to this day. Now... Consider that if it's Jesus who desires to come into their midst, they've got a number of choices because if it's He who's coming in, they're the host and He's the guest. And they can welcome Him in. They can listen. They can sit at His feet. They can learn. They can have fellowship and intimacy with Him. Or they can pretend they don't hear. Or they can send Him away. And each choice has consequences. Our Western culture is so individualistic that the way that the ancients valued the group and the way that non Western cultures value group today, some of our African brothers and sisters can tell us a lot about that because we don't get it. But the funny thing is that God values the group. God loves the church. The church is important to God. He set His Spirit in the church. It's the church that's His body. You and I are just bits and pieces of His body. But together, we're the church. Separately, we're not. Individually, we're we're not. That's why Scripture is so certain that That we cannot stop meeting together. We cannot stop fellowshipping together. It's that important. If the church has the gifts of the Spirit, and I have some of the gifts, and Brooke has some of the gifts, and and, uh, Vince has some of the gifts, and Swish has some of the gifts, you know what? That means I don't have it all. That means I can't live it all. I can't express it all. I can't do it all. I can't be it all. But as the church, guys We can. We need each other. We're so atomized, so separate in our culture, and it's so so different from what Scripture tells us. What would it look like for a whole church to suddenly open the door to Christ? For a whole church to let them into their collective worship? For brothers and sisters in Christ, arm in arm, welcome the presence of Christ into that assembly, that gathering, that body, that church? What would it look like for a whole church to let Him direct the decision-making? To let Him direct the ministries, to let Him direct the priorities. Is it possible that this is directed to a church and not to an individual? Because as a church, as a group, we have a greater reality, a higher reality, a more spiritual reality that we are greater than any mere collection of individuals because we become when we gather together the body of Christ could it be that when the church is in view that the body of Christ is far greater than the sum of its members far greater than any of its members or all of its members individually yeah it's the only way scripture understands the church that's why it matters As a group, as the body of Christ, God will cause His church to outshine any one of us or all of us separately. His church will outshine all of us because that's how He has designed it. Because that's what He desires. Because that's what brings Him glory. But just like an individual, an entire church can lose its way. And you know churches that have. So as we gather together as the church, we must welcome the living and risen Christ into our presence, into our fellowship, into our gathering. Our worship must acknowledge and celebrate His presence as a reality, not as a theory, but as a truth. Together we must experience that intimacy with Him when we gather to worship, and then we must obey what He directs us to do just to go through the motions of being the church, just to tack off the steps of the liturgy, as just one more task that we have to do before we get to go home, is to dishonor the presence of the living Christ in our midst and to keep Him outside knocking at the door. It's to dishonor the risen Christ who longs to stand in our midst, longs to receive worship offered to Him from sincere and loving hearts. It's to dishonor the Christ who longs to direct and to empower our ministries, His ministries through us. But you know, guys, To have a rich spiritual life, it involves two things. Probably more than two, but two that I'm thinking about right now. And that's the going back and forth between worshiping as an individual and then worshiping together as the body of Christ. And we go back and forth between the two. These are the two poles of a healthy spiritual life. And so just as, uh, just as I've told you that this passage applies really to the church, I do have to also think it must echo down into our hearts as individuals as well. I believe that by implication, that if our love for Christ has grown tempted, that just as Christ, or tepid, that just as Christ is knocking at the doors of the churches, Christ is also knocking on the door of the believer's life. Waiting for him or her to open the door so that he can come in and fully have intimacy and fellowship with each one of us. We're not to come here and gather waiting for Brooke to fill up our lives with uh, the Scriptures and the Spirit. We're supposed to come here full of the Spirit that we can share it with one another. That's the biblical model. I think of another passage, also from John. John was the apostle of love. John was the disciple that Jesus loved. He wrote, writes this, and uh, quoting Jesus in John three nineteen. And you're going to think, "Oh, this is really about intimacy." It doesn't sound like intimacy, but listen with me. John three nineteen, and the judgment is based on this fact: God's light came into the world. But people love the darkness more than the light because their deeds are evil. All who do evil hate the light and refuse to go near it for fear that their sins will be exposed. How can this speak to intimacy with God when it describes people running from Him? Because it calls us to the opposite, to not run. Because genuine intimacy, whether with God or with another human being, always, always, always means a deep level of personal honesty and a deep level of brutal self-disclosure. The more intimate I am with another human being, the more they know about me. The more intimate I am with God, the more I try not to hide from Him. It's saying, Lord, here I am. Here I am with all of my scars. Here I am with all of my wounds. Here I am with all of my sins. Here I am with all of the thoughts I wish I'd never thought. Here I am with all of the deeds I wish I had never done. Here I am with my shame. Here I am with my hopes. Here I am without any mask, without any makeup, without any cover-up. Here I am without pretending to be something I'm not. Here I am. when the light of God's searching spirit comes to you, will you, will we, have the courage to just stand there and say, here I am. This is the real me. If you, O Lord, cannot love and forgive me, then I have no hope. But my friend, when we do that, He does forgive. When we do that, He does love. I think that old Gaither song that should have been more popular than it was, the one who knows me best loves me most so I can love you. When we stand in the light Or will will we instead hide like Adam and Eve, who in their newly realized nakedness grabbed fig leaves and ran from the presence of God because they knew they'd sinned? Here's one more scripture, again from the Apostle John, First John one five through nine. This is the message we heard from Jesus and now declare to you: God is light. And there's no darkness in Him at all. So we're lying if we say we have fellowship with God, but go on living in spiritual darkness. We're not practicing the truth. But if we're living in the light, as God is in the light, then we have fellowship with each other. And the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. If we claim we have no sin, we're only fooling ourselves. And we're not living in the truth. But if we confess our sins to Him, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. There can be no intimacy without honesty. There just can't. Not in a marriage, not in a friendship, and certainly there can be no intimacy with God if somehow we think that we can try to hide something from Him. From the all-knowing, all-seeing, all-hearing God, like we can really hide something anyway. But yet there is something in each of us that desperately wants to hide who we really are. Intimacy with a holy God requires His forgiveness because He's a holy God. And both forgiveness and intimacy require honesty and openness and genuine confession. And dare I say it, a raw vulnerability that can shake us to our very core. We're so good at hiding from each other and we think we can hide from God too. But we can't. It means that instead of running away from God in our sin and in our nakedness, we stand before Him with no excuses. None. It means refusing to cover ourselves with the fig leaves of our manufactured excuses. Our silly defensiveness. It means we echo the voice of King David who cried out to God in Psalm 139 verse 23. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you. And lead me along the path of everlasting life. Until we can be real with God, until we can be this real with God, until we can be this honest with God, there can be no spiritual intimacy with Him. We can go through the motions, we can. You can make a good show of it, you can. But it's all just a show. I know that, because from time to time I've done it. But such a pretense will always be hollow. It will always be empty, right up until, right up until that moment when our desperate desire for God overcomes our desperate desire to stay hidden. What is true of individuals is also true of churches. As a church, we've got to be honest before Him. But let me show you, share just another passage with you, also from John, surprise, as he wrote down the words of Jesus. John 15, 1, I am the true grapevine, and my Father's the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit, and He prunes the branches that do bear fruit, so that they will produce even more. You've already been pruned and purified by the message I've given you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot bear fruit if it's severed from the vine, and you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Yes, I am the vine, and you're the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love, just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in His love. So much for unconditional love, huh? I have told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. Once we have come into the spiritual intimacy with Christ through honesty, we have to strive to stay intimate with Christ. Because it's only as we stay in intimacy with Him and His life that His power flows into us and through us as we remain, as we abide, as the older translations would say, as we live in Him. And because of that, He lives in us. And now part of this is consciously letting that life of His flow into us, constantly striving to remain attached to the vine, to be aware of it as He does send His life through us. And part of this is also obeying, being obedient to the things He's taught us. Being obedient to the whole counsel of Scripture, which means we have to be familiar with it. And being obedient to the leading of the Holy Spirit as He prompts us to say and do certain things. And we also need to test it and be prudent about that. Christ in us cannot be just a metaphor for some odd, inexplicable mystery. It's got to be a reality that we live out every day. But practically speaking, how do we do that? What does that look like? To begin with, we've got to stop pretending we're something we're not. Emotionally speaking, spiritually speaking, we must decide to stand naked, vulnerable, and unprotected in the searching light of God's presence and truth. We must develop a minute-by-minute intentional interaction with God. Some of you may remember, years back it was popular, the, the 17th century monk, Brother Lawrence, who wrote the, the uh, Practicing the Presence of God. If you got a copy from the 70s, those of you who are old enough. Blow the dust off of it and take a look at that again. The Apostle Paul also wrote this. Or wrote this to a church in Thessalonica. First Thessalonians five seventeen. Never stop praying. Never stop praying. Practice continually breathing a quick prayer about all things. Consider praying something like this throughout your day. Lord, I am now about to fill in the blank. Help me to hear your voice in the midst of this time and to obey you. And well, Lord, I just got done with this. I hope I was able to reflect your glory and your peace. Please use me. Amen. Again and again, with each event, with each upcoming thing on your schedule. Lord, be with me. Lord, walk with me. Lord, help me to see you. Lord, help me to hear you. Lord, help me to stay near you in this time. Lord, you know the pressures I'm dealing with. Walk with me. Lord, you know. Stand with me. Again, from the Apostle John. Listen to what Jesus tells us in John chapter 10, verse 27. My sheep listen to my voice and I know them and they follow me. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. We must be obedient to what the Spirit of Christ shows us through the Scripture. And we must obedient to what be obedient to what He speaks directly into our hearts and our minds. Because when we fail to obey the truth that God has shown us, He stops showing us new truth. He stopped showing us new truth until we again affirm that we're ready to obey. Listen, this isn't supposed to be something weird. This is supposed to be the normal Christian life. From the very beginning, it's what Jesus intended us to have, to have a spiritual intimacy with Him that involves all of these things. It's not an exceptional life, it's a normal life to live this way in Him. It's what He desires for us, it's what He calls us to experience, it's how He plans to build His kingdom through us. That kind of intimacy. That kind of relationship, that kind of trust, that kind of vulnerability, that kind of listening, that kind of obedience, and it all comes out of that intimacy with Him. God still calls us into intimacy with Him. Nothing has changed. Two thousand years has not affected that at all. It remains His goal for us. Oh, Lord, as a church... May we hear Your knocking and open the door to You. Oh, Lord, as individuals, may we hear You knocking and open the door to You. Oh, Lord, how we long to have the intimacy of that shared meal with You, our Creator and our Redeemer. Oh, Lord, come. Come into our churches. Oh, Lord Jesus, Come come into our lives. Amen.